Auto Line This Week is underwritten in part by... In this epic battle of fuel efficiency and endurance, we're here to see which hybrid has the best MPG. That's the essence of a hybrid soul. But is there more to it? The Hybrid Game MPG Challenge. And now, here is your host, John McElroy. want to thank you all for joining us here on AutoLine This Week, where the discussion today is going to be all about the electronics coming into a car, especially the interior of a car. That is, the very electronics that you may be using in your car. And I've got three experts to help me talk all about this today. Tilo Kozlowski is the head of the automotive practice, the leader of it, at Gartner Research. Danny Shapiro is the director of automotive at the company NVIDIA, and Marios Zenios is the vice president of the Uconnect system and services at the Chrysler Company. Great to have you all here today. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Joe. Tilo, I want to start with you. All this electronics coming into cars, I love it. One of the biggest problems right now, everyone focuses on driver distraction, but there's another side issue, too, that may be blocking some more acceptance, and that's the connectivity, the human machine interface, the HMI, just touching these things and making them work. What's your assessment of where the industry is and, and what should it be doing to improve this? Excellent question. And to me, this is a topic where the industry needs to focus much more of their resources on because I have that vision that going forward, the car will become the ultimate mobile device, right? Better than what I can do on my mobile phone, better what I can do on my tablet. And I really want to actually immerse myself inside of the vehicle. Now, we're not there yet today by any means, right? Today, you may have somewhat of a copy and paste approach from the mobile phone side to get a screen into a vehicle. And maybe these screens are getting bigger, which is good, but it's not enough. I envision that you can actually use haptics, gesture recognition, maybe even mood recognition, where the car actually knows what mood I am in, to actually give me the information that I'm looking for, to really serve up the things that I need to have. And we're really far away from this. And, and maybe also another cautionary note to the automotive industry is, just because smartphones have a touchscreen doesn't mean that's always the best UI for the vehicle, best user interface for the car. Physical buttons are just fine in a car, by the way. And we have done some testing with consumers on this. And guess what? Consumers like physical buttons. Why? Because you have what we call muscle memory. You know exactly, I push this button, I get that function, in addition to other things that I want to do. And voice is, for example, another uh, intuitive interface for the vehicle. But going forward, I envision that I can choose whatever I want in a car in terms of how I want to interact with a lot of these services. Marius, I love mechanical buttons like Tilo's talking about because you get instant response. Mm -hmm. However, as we all know, with all the stuff coming into cars, I've counted as many as 72 buttons on a car, and it just becomes too much to try and keep track of. And I know that's why so many automakers are going to these touch screens, but you've got a, an award-winning system in the Uconnect, but I've got to believe that you two are still looking at how when I touch a touch screen, does it react far faster than what the systems do today? Yeah, absolutely, John. And I, I think uh, Tilo set it up, uh, said it very well. Uh, we have invested significantly in the HMI development. 
uh, with consumer research uh, along with that. But at the same time, we know we're not there yet. The thing that we did do that people like, and people of, of all ages and, and all backgrounds, is the blending of the traditional controls to the new touchscreen controls. And this is where the secret sauce comes in. If you can get a perfect balance there where you can accommodate the way people learn to use new devices, that's what it's all about. That's how you reduce the extra time that it takes to learn a new system and to use a new system. So at the foundation of our Uconnect strategy is the statement of easy to learn, easy to use. So everything we do has to go back to that fundamental principle. And to do that, that means you have to have talented HMI designers. Uh, you got to have a lot of research. So you're not just doing things because they look good or sound good based on a, on a phone strategy. So bringing it into the car and making it relevant, it takes a lot of hard work and a lot of know-how and, and a strategy, foundation. That's why we continue to evolve our strategy along those lines. Uh, we are going to continue to resist the temptation of, of pushing technology for technology's sake. Technology is an enabler. It's supposed to help the folks in the car. And, and I'll, I'll reinforce something that Tilo said. The car has to get to know you. So our next step in terms of evolving our HMI is in that direction, is to get the context under which the consumer is in and then assist the consumer so we don't have to take the extra effort to do the things that you, you don't need to do. The car would know what you prefer as being your car. Mm -hmm. Danny, uh, NVIDIA, of course, makes some of the most powerful processors out there in, in the world. Isn't it a hardware situation as well? Like, can some of your processors help these systems react much more quickly? Absolutely. What we've really been focused on is taking the latest and greatest technology from a lot of different types of industries and places where we're enabling customers to do amazing things. So you take it from the gaming side for entertainment systems to Hollywood where filmmakers are using NVIDIA hardware to do all their visual effects to uh, medical imaging or space exploration for supercomputing. Essentially, we're able to bring all of that computing horsepower now into an automotive solution that can enable better voice recognition, better infotainment systems, faster touch response. I think the challenge that we often face then is that this cycle time of building a car is so much longer than making a mobile device or a consumer electronics device. And so car makers have that challenge of building for the long term certainly, but also that development cycle is so much longer. So what we've basically been able to do is, is merge mobile with automotive to some extent and leverage the rapid pace of innovation that happens in the mobile space, but bring it to the automaker in a, into a modular form factor. Tilo, I gotta believe uh, everybody's looking at just what Danny's talking about, uh, and, and not just putting it in the car. So, much, so many of us use smartphones right now, which have incredible capability. Why not just bake it into the cell phone and let that connect with the car, and now I can see on a screen what my cell phone's got. Well, that's certainly one of those you know, approaches that the industry is taking, right? But I think ultimately, consumers also want to have a certain level of convenience and have a certain amount of computing power inside of the vehicle. You know, and I always compare that computing power almost to the heartbeat and the muscle that you need to have in the car to do certain things without you having to bring your device with you. I think there's another you know, big element to this as well because ultimately consumers also are looking for different experiences that you want to have and a cell phone is really well designed for the purpose of entertaining you or giving you information 
when you're looking at, a, looking at a cell phone, not when you're sitting in a car. Think about it, you have all that real estate in a vehicle, more than I have on my phone, right? I could actually have all kinds of computing processing power inside the vehicle. I don't have any battery constraints really inside of a car versus my day phone that runs out of time, you know, or out of juice within you know, six hours. So those are all a lot of benefits that I have in a vehicle that none other device, including mobile device, can actually match. And that to me is ultimately the magic sauce that the auto industry needs to start to really be creative with. And, and we're not seeing enough of this. This is the first year, and I've been doing this now for a long time, for over 16 years. This is the first year where I see automotive suppliers, for example, beginning to get creative and to be really energetic about what we can do with the computing powers that we put into our cars. That hasn't happened before. And so to that point, what we've done is essentially built this platform that automakers around the globe can utilize for the infotainment systems, but for beautiful, configurable, and personalizable instrument clusters but also driver assistance systems. As we start to bring more and more computing resources into the car, we have a platform now that can run a lot of fancy applications that can do things like recognize pedestrians or find a blind spot car pulling up beside you. It can um, help you drive safer and will ultimately lead to self-driving cars. Yeah, autonomous cars, boy, that's a whole nother show in and of itself, and that, that is coming quick, too. But, Marios, getting back to what I was talking about, what's Chrysler's strategy? Mm -hmm. How much do you want to be able to integrate a smartphone into your car? Or, to Tilo's point, how much of the, the computing horsepower do you want to leave in the vehicle itself? It's a balance, John. We look at, you know, the Uconnect strategy has been uh, from the very beginning to accommodate the consumer both ways. We got customers that don't necessarily like to bring their phones or play with them when they are driving. They expect the car to be uh, self-sufficient in all of its functions, including connectivity. So in that case, we offer an embedded cell phone in, in our system and it, and it does all the connectivity to the cloud and so on. And, and the other services we offer, remote control services and so on, and telematic services. Uh, on the other side, uh, our system is designed to accommodate both, uh, you, know, you know, the most popular phones, Android, iOS, and so on, Blackberries, and and basically we we accommodate those devices very well. Now I say accommodate because really, what do we want our customers to do? Bring them in and put them away, okay? Because the minute they bring them in the vehicle. They synchronize with our system and they bring the person's preferences, uh, address book, or whatever the case might be. So they bring their world with them into the vehicle, keeping your pocket, keeping your purse, and our system is intelligent enough to work with that phone and get the information that it needs to serve the customer, whether they're making a phone call or a destina navigation destination and so on. So that, that's our strategy is to, is to give the consumer choice to do both. We are not believers in forcing the customer to only do one one way, okay? So so the answer is yes, we are working very closely with the phone manufacturers uh, strategically to accommodate that in a smart way. In the, in the old days, we used to uh, run behind them. You know, they make a release and we run behind to catch up and see what, what they did so we can bring it in and provide the right accommodation. Right now, the good news is that the industry is working together. I think it, it helped the fact that, you know, everybody sees the opportunity with distracted driving, better accommodation for infotainment services in the vehicle to work together as a team cross industries to come up with these better solutions. And they're getting better and better. We are not there yet, but certainly, you know, I'm confident with the industry working together now. And I may add also that on the computing power perspective, yes, we do need the computing power. And yes, we need to future-proof our systems because we do have the long design cycles. So when we choose a computing platform, we got to make sure that it has enough uh, 
horsepower, or as we call it in the in 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 our industry, MIPS. You know, millions of instructions per second. Yeah, uh, that it can last us for the for the next five years. So you got to align our feature strategy against the computing requirements, and that's how we start architecting systems and then start designing them. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to have the uh, the products that uh, Danny is talking about uh, today that can run, that can have a long runway for us. So think of, think of uh, MIPS, as I say, millions of instructions per second as the horsepower of the engine under the hood. It's the same thing to us in our world. And you know, being from, from Silicon Valley, right, so I have to bring up another term, which is cloud computing, right? Because ultimately, there might be another option that you have, which is just to enable an interface in the vehicle that then connects me to computing power that resides outside of the car, even outside of any devices that I carry with me, to do a lot of things that I might need to get done. Uh, voice processing, voice recognition processing, for example, can be done in that manner. Off-site, not even inside the vehicle or somewhere else. And cloud computing is another potential technology that mm -hmm. plays a role here. Problem is, of course, in order to, to work with the cloud, you have to have connectivity. And there's still quite a few spots in the world, including in this country, where you don't always have connectivity. But that's another option. But yeah. I think the keyword is what Mario said, which is segmentation and giving people choices, right? Because today you don't get these choices in most cases. And I envision going forward that some consumers may pick the super connectivity solution. And I'm willing to pay Chrysler or somebody else a couple of thousand dollars for it, versus others that just want to get the standard connectivity solution. And they may rely on their cell phone to do that. They will have a very different experience. One thing we all have to understand is if you leverage the phone as your main conduit to connect to the outside, that's all the computing power that you get. You're done. Hmm. And that, that really is not enough because there's so much more you want to be able to do inside the vehicle. And like you said, you want to have that long life, that upgradability. What we've done essentially, and this is what you were asking about earlier, is the creation of an automotive grade module that will enable the car to have a future life. First of all, it's very powerful. It has that CPU for doing processing. It has a GPU for graphics. This processor card here today has more processing power than was on the first space shuttle that went up in this form factor. So it truly is amazing. Now, in the future though, the ability exists from a car maker standpoint to very quickly innovate and bring new processors into your vehicle without having to redesign. But also potentially in the future, somebody who bought a car could get it upgraded at the dealership. Mm -hmm. And that's a key thing that you're talking about, the upgradability, so that this is not obsolete in four or five years time. That's correct. Yeah. What about hacking? That's another th issue that is, has sprung up here. As you get more of this connectivity, information in the cloud, wireless con connection, how do you design so that some bad person out there can't deliberately cause accidents on the freeway? That's a big problem, you know, and um, maybe you've seen the news as well. You know, now people are worried about uh, hackers getting into planes, even, you know, and taking over, which seems to be a real concern. The European Union just made a comment about this yesterday. So this is a real topic uh, that you just uh, brought up. But I think ultimately technology, again, is the solution here. You have to figure out a way to do user uh, authentication. You have to actually look into how to make sure that the networks are secure, whatever you use, and that you really design these systems to be bulletproof, as bulletproof as they can be. Now, would that always be fully functioning from the very beginning without any problems? Probably not. But that's why it's so important that you also have multiple systems in there. You know, if somebody would hack into an infotainment system, that's one thing. I may get upset because I can't listen to my music. If that person hacks into some of the safe and security features, that becomes a very different story. That's why some of the computing power has to reside 
in the inside the car and, and why some of the information just has to be there because you can't really get it from other sources that potentially could be hacked into. Danny, from a hardware standpoint, are, are there things that NVIDIA, for example, can do about this? Sure, sure. We are able to really support a lot of security and encryption, really, in the system so that we can make sure that those systems stay secure. If somebody's going to be plugging in another device or connecting, there's ways to partition those systems, like Taylor was saying, to make sure that they won't have access to other parts of the vehicle and really keep that infotainment system separate from the vehicle control systems. And Mario, so of course, you're at a car company. You know, where is this on your priority list of things to deal with? We did the things that they just talked about. <laughs> Actually, uh, at the very front of the design, you have to design in the encryption and authentication. So it becomes uh, a system requirement it becomes an engineering task to execute it. And that's very serious business, and any infotainment system has to have that as a, uh, as a necessary ingredient. If you're gonna be connected to, to the cloud, as we say, and people have access to the cloud and so on. Um, so yeah, we take that very seriously, not only for hacking, but also for data privacy. Nobody mm -hmm. can start remotely your vehicle. Today we offer a variety of telematics uh, services on the vehicles we sell. And you can remotely start the vehicle. You, you know, if it's stolen, it can be tracked and so on. So you want a layer of authentication and, and security there so nobody can get to it. And that's, that's what we do. That's what we do. Uh, in addition to that, John, our system today that's in the market allows you to register for those services. And if you choose to uh, create an account, we also have mobile wallet, as we call it, on the Uconnect website where you can enter your credit card. And then in our vehicle, you can make purchases. Uh, if you're on a trip, and one of the first products we offer is Wi-Fi hotspot. So basically, you can buy, if you're on a long trip, you want to buy Wi-Fi for your family to bring their laptops and so on. So the car becomes uh, like a Starbucks. <laughs> you know, it offers. Uh, so it allows you to make those kind of purchases. So you can imagine the kind of uh, security you have to have with credit cards and, and PIN numbers and passwords and so on. Very similar to, or the same that the um, that the industry is uh, is having today uh, in the telecom world and in the in the commerce world. You know, you're employing those same level of security in terms of passwords and authentication. You're well, absolutely right. It, it's good to hear about that because I know that uh, several universities have experimented on whether they could hack into a car as it's driving by, yeah. and they were able to do things like. Uh, turn on the turn signals, mm -hmm. you know, make it look like the gas gauge was on empty. Sort of simple things, yeah. but it was a proof of concept that they were able to hack into a car while it was moving. So that, yeah. that's why I was asking about this. Yeah. That's, an, that's an entire science uh, segment in itself to enable the telematics services that we are talking about. Without that, we, we couldn't offer, obviously. The consumers wouldn't trust us with any of that. So. Um, but again, we work with other industries that establish benchmarks in that respect and how to stay ahead of the, let's say, the crooks, and, you know, try to hack into these systems, you know. So it's the same uh, type of dynamic, you know, and, and we have to take responsibility to do that mm -hmm. as, as a telematics industry. And maybe just to, you know, add another layer to this, just to show you how the industry is working on this, you would see actually this year that there would be new over-the-air software upgrade solutions being launched in the automotive industry, which means now I don't have to go to the dealership to get the latest software. It actually happens while the car is parked in the garage and I have access to a Wi-Fi hotspot. So imagine that kind of security that you need to have if all of a sudden you flesh an entire operating system mm -hmm. in a vehicle. So the, the industry takes it very serious, but there's a lot of uh, lessons learned that are coming out of the telco side from companies that have been doing this for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
Danny, uh, you mentioned earlier, you, you work with all different kinds of industries. I've got to believe this is an issue for just about everybody. Yeah, I, I think that from the, the security side, you know, we've been in mission-critical situations, whether it's um, enabling surgeons to operate on a beating heart using the GPU, right? These are mission-critical um, systems that cannot fail and cannot be hacked. And so that's definitely something that we've been investing in heavily. Um, the other thing that, that you mentioned, are sort of the other side of our business and our roots is in gaming. And um, we're continually innovating on that front. And Marius, as you were talking about rear seat entertainment, I think what I have here is kind of the perfect mix. Um, this is something new called the NVIDIA Shield. It's the latest in video gaming devices. And essentially, the controller here is also the game console. We've combined that all together. So you have an incredible amount of processing power that can play games here. This runs Android, so any kind of Android game, but also can connect to the cloud for cloud-based gaming or connect to your home PC or connect to your TV. But why not enable this kind of feature for backseat entertainment and maybe even build these kind of capabilities straight into the car? And so this is pretty much one processor doing all the different things you just described? That's correct. Really, it's a processor the size of your thumbnail now that has a multi-core CPU, a many-core GPU, an audio processor, a video processor, an image processor that's able to handle all types of inputs. And again, it's sort of the next generation of what's going into smartphones as well. Tilo, you recently set the broadcast radio's hair on fire. I think you were the one who came out and projected that in the future we may not even have radios in cars. That is correct, you know, and it's not They're so really worried about what you said, believe no, me. No, no. You know, and it's, it's, I think to some extent it was also misquoted, but, you know, absolutely, the message is that broadcasting technology may not be the way to get radio content to consumers going forward. Because you have other choices. You have wireless networks that you can work with today. You have LTE, which, you know, is growing in terms of coverage in the United States and, and abroad. So you will have other mechanisms of getting content to consumers. It doesn't mean necessarily that radio stations will go away, but they probably have to figure out different ways of getting their content mm -hmm. to consumers. And, you know, we talked about uh, the ability to actually pick the stuff that you want as a consumer earlier, you know, the personalization aspect. Guess what? If I have internet radio capabilities, I can really pick and choose what I want versus, you know, being limited to wherever I drive around. And all of us know this. If you go on a longer trip and all of a sudden you know, the, the stations come in and out based on, you know, how, how strong the signal is, that is not something consumers are willing to accept going forward. So I would definitely encourage any broadcasting company or any radio station to start looking into all the different options that are out there because we will see more and more internet radio in a car. And we see already today, by the way, that consumers like internet radio a lot. It's almost on par now with the desire for satellite radio. And that only happened over the last three, four years that we actually had internet radio. So things are happening rather quickly, and that's why I would encourage everybody to be aware of that. That's right, and I'm already paying for internet, so why would I want to pay on top of that for satellite radio? I know the people from Sirius don't want to hear me say that, but that's how consumers think. Absolutely, it's all about the programming, right? So it's not just the broadcasting Content technology. is it's king. Content is king when it comes to radio. That's very important, and I think companies like uh, Sirius XM, I, I have four subscriptions with them, even though we're only a family four. of three. Yes, so, you know, so I really like the content quite a bit, I have to say, but everybody's gonna be different, and I'm not paying necessarily for the technology of how it's delivered, I'm paying for the content. And that's what most consumers will choose. Uh, uh, Marius, where do you see uh, radios in cars 10 years from now? Consumer choice. It's like 
Tito said, you know, he likes Sirius Satellite. He has subscriptions. We have to make that available to our customers. To the extent that they like the content, the talk shows, the sports, and the music that comes from a certain source, you know, that's what we focus on. As far as the delivery mechanism, we are flexible. The product I have on the market today can receive broadcast, terrestrial, traditional broadcast, AM, FM, HD radio, and so on. Receives the satellite broadcast uh, from Sirius, uh, as well as uh, the cloud. You know, music comes from the cloud. We got all kinds of streaming uh, services and so on. So really, but, but how much choice are you going to give consumers? And I only ask you it from this standpoint. I can't get a tape deck in a car anymore. CD players probably not going to be around very long. So. How much choice is the industry, the auto industry, really going to give consumers? You have limited real estate where you can package all this stuff. So am I going to have all these choices you're talking about? Yeah, yeah you are, John, because uh, aside from tape decks and <laughs> CD decks and so on, by the way, CD is optional in our new uh, system now. Uh, we rely on the computing power and the multimedia power that Danny talked about because with those kind of engines, you know, we're able to process satellite, you know, terrestrial and so on. So that's not an issue from it. Once you have the computing power and the receiver technology built into the radio, uh, and you have the right HMI that the customer can choose. And so you make, you make a radio, you make a smart radio that can accommodate all the tastes, okay? And it can grow with you. Today you like satellite, tomorrow you may like uh, streaming radio from the internet, just because it becomes more popular and you get familiar with it and you want to switch over, right? So that's what I mean by accommodating all uh, customer segments, but also accommodate a customer that grows with the system, you know, year after year. So having the fundamentals, the enablers are there today, both on the, the embedded system in the car, but also the, the content coming from everywhere. It's, it's really a question of getting the pipe into the car. The bigger the pipe can be, the more choice I have as a consumer, right? I'm sure there are some consumers out there that are still pretty sad that we don't have eight tracks anymore in the car, right? <laughs> but there's probably not that many anymore. And I think, you know, cassette and even CD will go the same route. Mm -hmm. um, you see now companies like Amazon, for example, offering up their digital music service into a vehicle. So Ford, for example, does it as one of the apps that they have in this system. And I think you will see more and more of this going forward, you know, getting my iTunes music, my Android music into my vehicle wherever I am. That's the choice that I think consumers want. They're less concerned about how do I get that stuff in my car. Very good. Fascinating discussion. I, I think if we have you back in six months, we could do this show all over again, and it would be a completely different sure. discussion. That's how fast things are moving. But Tilo Kozlowski, Danny Shapiro, Mario Zenios, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, really thank appreciate you. it. I want to thank all of you for having tuned into AutoLine this week. Auto Line This Week is underwritten in part by efficiency and endurance. We're here to see which hybrid has the best MPG. That's the essence of a hybrid soul. But is there more to it? The hybrid game MPG Challenge.